Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Killian Murphy returns with season five of Peaky Blinders. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. This is a special one. I say that a lot. Okay, I admit it. I say every episode special, but uh, Killian Murphy is the guest on today's Happy, Sad, Confused. And if you can, you can detect the emotion in my otherwise emotionless uh, uh, body, I actually feel excitement today, guys, because Killian Murphy's been on the list for a while, and and he's been he's a tough one, guys, because he a doesn't do that much press, and B, doesn't do it because he frankly doesn't, and I don't blame him, he doesn't enjoy doing a lot of conversing about his craft and acting. He's not in it for the fame, he's not in it for the celebrity, he's so anti all of that stuff. And for that reason, A, I, I, I was worried about even, I was wondering when we'd actually get him in, to be frank, I've been working on this for a while. And B, I didn't know how it would go. Like, would he be miserable to be here? Am I forcing him against his will? Would he hate me? Yada, yada, all that stuff. Well, the good news is he came. He was happy. He was in a great mood. Uh, and we got along. He was He's a big old film nerd like me, like you guys. So uh, we got on famously. We spent a lot, a lot of time afterwards just chit-chatting about other movies that are we've seen recently. Like, he, 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 he couldn't have been better and I'm so relieved uh, that he turned out to be as uh, to be as charming and delightful as he was see just because you hate doing press doesn't mean you're a bad guy it often actually means you're a good guy <laughs> um, so Killian Murphy if you don't know um, has been starring the last few years on BBC's Peaky Blinders, which is one of the best shows on TV for my money. I discovered it way too late, like about a year ago. I caught up on all the episodes. And the new season is out there right now. It's on Netflix, uh, the fifth season of the show. He plays Thomas Shelby, of course, uh, kind of the leader of this crime family. He's now in politics in the fifth season. Uh, such an amazing ensemble of actors that have repeated throughout. And now this season... We get Tom Hardy back in the mix for a little bit. We got Anya Taylor-Joy. We got our friend Sam Claflin on on the on the series now. Um, well worth your time. If you haven't caught up with Peaky Blinders, I encourage you to do so right now. Uh, and of course, you know, in this conversation, we talk about a bunch of other things. Killian has worked with some of the best filmmakers out there, whether it's Neil Jordan, Danny Boyle. We go in hard on 28 Days Later and Sunshine, which I love. I absolutely adore. Um, and and also just, you know, his his association with Christopher Nolan, which I think a lot of audiences associate with uh, with Killian's career. He, of course, um was in Batman, all the, actually all three of the Batman films, most notably Batman Begins as Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. Scarecrow. What you may not know is he was almost Batman, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne himself. Uh, he was up for that role. There's actually audition footage on YouTube. You can find uh, a little snippet of him in the Bat costume. Um, it didn't work out. He wasn't right for that role, but what Christopher saw something really special in that audition and decided to pivot and make him 
Scarecrow. And ever since then, they've worked together on Inception and Dunkirk, and I'm sure they're going to continue working through the rest of their respective careers. So um, great things can come, even if you, you know, don't get the part you necessarily go in for. Other great things can happen out of it. So uh, we're all the better for it, too. Um, so very proud of this conversation. Very happy that Killian came by. I hope you guys enjoyed as much uh, as I did. Um, and other than that, what, what else to mention? I mentioned last week, you know, we've debuted the new Paramount Network series. If you haven't checked out On Location, please do so. I think you're going to enjoy it if you love movies as much as I do. This is a show all about celebrating classic movies and the classic locations where they shot with amazing guests. The first episode is up with the great Lance Reddick talking about the John Wick movies. It's on Paramount Network's YouTube page. It's on Paramount Network's Facebook page. If you dig through my social media, Joshua Horowitz, I've been posting about it so you can't miss it. And some really cool guests to come, including Kevin Smith and Night Shyamalan and Zoe Deschanel and a ton more. Um, so yeah, good stuff happening all around. Hope you guys are enjoying all the cool fall movies that are starting to come out. If you've seen Joker, hope you dig it. If you didn't, that's okay too. Let's agree to disagree. <laughs> um, that's all I'm going to say now. Let's go to the main event, shall we? Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Spread the good word of my little podcast. And enjoy this chat with Mr. Killian Murphy. Thank you for coming by today, man. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, big admirer of your work. Uh, you've been on the list for a while to talk to. I know I know this isn't like the, the favorite thing to do for you, so I'll try to make this as painless as possible. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like I've been circling you, whether consciously or unconsciously. I've had like everyone, Danny Boyle, Chris Nolan, Brendan Gleeson. It's like, this is your life, Killian Murphy, around <laughs> you, <laughs> building up to you. Um, Peaky Blinders. Might as well start there. Cause, sure. Because that's what, that's what the name of the game is right now. Um, this is a great, great show. Oh, thank I've you. I've been a fan the last couple. I, I was a late bloomer. I think maybe a lot of Americans were. They took them a little time yeah. to catch up to yeah. what, was, uh, what was cooking with BBC. Um, You've done, what, 30, I'm trying to think, season five now, probably 30 hours of this? Yes, exactly, yeah. So, you know, as somebody that probably likes to mix it up and keep it interesting, mm. uh, that's the nature of the job, are you surprised that this series, this role is still as richly rewarding for you five seasons in? I'm, I'm delighted and surprised and, uh, you know, uh, humbled, really. Um, it, from the get-go, from reading it, I knew it was kind of something special. The, the 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 writing was so strong and so confident and original. Yeah. Um, this is seven years ago. We did we started it, so it's quite a while. Um, and uh, I was aware that something was kind of happening in television, you know, because we'd all watched um, those kind of seminal uh, American like shows, the Breaking Bad, exactly. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, and. Um, I think the BBC were consciously trying to compete, yeah. if possible, with those kind of shows. And Steve just happened to step into that moment with these scripts. And I happened to be looking for television at that time. And it was all this lovely kind of confluence of sort of coincidence and serendipity. And it just happened, you know. You mentioned Stephen. This is Stephen Knight, of course, who's uh, yeah. your close collaborator on this one. The brain, the brain's behind this uh, wonderful uh crazy ensemble uh and and saga now mm -hmm. um the way it's 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 developed is fascinating i mean i i, I almost say to like people that don't know anything about it it's like imagine like a 
crime drama, like, like like The Godfather stretched over thirty hours. Like it's 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 got that that kind of like intricacy within a family. Yeah, played against such a a, a rich tapestry, a rich time period, a rich uh, location, um, and to see sort of the way these interpersonal relationships kind of intermingle with history. Yes, is yeah. is quite fascinating. Um, what I mean, what was Stevens like? Did Steven pitch you, or was it in the on the page what he what he gave you? I had met him before for another movie um, a couple of years before that, and we'd gotten on really well, and it didn't work out for whatever reason. Right. And um, so I was a, an admirer of him, and I I knew that when I when when we sat down together, we we kind of had a, they, you know, we got on very well. Yeah. And we uh, and so then when it came around again, I was I was aware that he was a proper talent at that stage. Uh, and then, and no, I think it, he, he talked to me about it and he talked to me about, you know, what I was influenced by, which was really, you know, the fact that in Britain, television generally had been about, um, the upper classes, the aristocracy, the sort of upstairs, downstairs right. type of, uh, story. And that there had never really been a piece of television that sort of mythologized the working class yeah. in Britain, which you guys here in America do so brilliantly, you know, mythologizing cowboys and, you know, Italian-Americans, which are all effectively right. immigrants, essentially. And we, uh, well, I speak as an Irishman, but in Britain that, that hadn't really happened. So Steve was was about was about, I suppose, addressing that and also setting a story not in London, but in Birmingham, which right. is the second city, but for a long time was not a very fashionable city. And, uh, um, but he wrote about where, where he's from, which is Birmingham, and, he, and this story was handed down to him by his uncles and his mother. So uh, he lived with it for a long time before he put pen to paper. Yeah. So it was very rich now, inevitably, it's um, it's it's it, it is uh, a gangster piece, and it in it and and uh, it is of that genre, but I think it has a different spin on it because it's British, yeah. and because it's between the wars, it's it, you so you see these men and they're sort of stumbling through life, suffering the aftermath of being, uh, you know, ejected from. The, the, the most mechanized, the most horrific bloodshed ever known to to man to that point, which was the First World War. And and they're trying to have to just, ha having to adjust to society and having to find a place for themselves. And each of them, the characters in our show, sort of dealing with that in a different way. Um, so that that was a very exciting setup. So from the beginning, all the characters were broken. Yeah. And that's a good place to start as an actor. You don't want a you don't want a fixed guy. You want the guy that's, that's trying broken. to piece himself back together. Exactly. Yeah. And he. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is are you just still discovering new things about Thomas five seasons in? Yes, for sure. Um, and he writes it so elegantly. He, he you know he 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 uh, reveals very very slowly. Uh, it's like peeling back. Uh, layers every every season, then you get to go. You get insights back into what Tommy was like pre the First World War, right. and I think Steve's arc is is to ultimately redeem him um, because you know he is in Steve's 
words, a, 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 you know, a good man who does bad things to a good end, right. which I really like, you know. Um, and he's a contradiction, as as we all are, you know, yeah. as human beings. So uh, yeah, every 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 series. Now he's a politician. He's an MP. Yeah. How do you how do you reconcile that with being a gangster? How do you reconcile being a father with being a gangster? How do you, how do you reconcile being a husband? How do you deal with an ideology, um, a fascist ideology, something that you can't, um, something that you can't use, you know, machine guns against? Yeah. So all of that stuff, it's just very rich. Rich territory for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the, the rise of fascism, which is kind of like the backdrop of this season. Mm -hmm. You bring in someone I, I, I've gotten to know well over the years, Sam Claflin, a very talented actor. Great actor. And does, I mean, I've never seen him in a role like this, and yeah. that's sort of the fun of he this one. He smashes it in this. Oh, he kills yeah. it in this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, stay through the last episode. It's amazing. Yeah. You end the season on a really great, uh, powerful note. Um, and it creeps up on you, too, yeah. that character. Um, I, I've been struck from the start of the show. Um, I mean, you, you obviously, you anchored this show, but you're surrounded by this amazing ensemble mm -hmm. of actors, some of which have been consistent throughout and some that, that come and go. Your buddy Tom Hardy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, delicious to watch always. Mm -hmm. um, you guys have worked together a few times. Yeah, yeah we go back, me and Tom. I mean, I, I, I kind of knew him years ago when we were both kind of getting going, and then... We did a few Chris Nolan films together, right? Uh, or well, we were in Inception together, and then I think I was in one of the dark, or one of the Batman films that he was in. Yeah, he was in Rises, the third. Short. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then every year in Peaky, so you know we keep in touch. We get on great, and uh, I love acting opposite him. He's such a such an inventive, uh, unpredictable actor. That's what you want. Yeah, and and it feels like they're sort of, kind of, brothers from another mother or something like that. You know, they they were both in the war together, and they have this amazing, kind of antagonistic friendship. Yeah, uh, which I really enjoy. So yeah, and then people like Sam Neill, fantastic. You know, Adrian Brody, um, just um, Helen McCrory, who I adore. You know these fantastic actors. And then the season you bring in people like Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, I mean it's it, yeah it's it's always always keeps it interesting. So for someone like Tom, I'm just curious from an actor perspective and somebody that's like a friend of his. Like I don't know about you, Al, I as just like a fan of the medium and uh, of acting and just seeing performers I respond to. I like it when actors make big choices that mm -hmm. go for it. You know, I think of him doing Bane, which could have he could have fallen flat on his face, and I was just like obsessed with what he did there. <laughs> I don't know about you. Loved it, yeah. Right, loved it. Um, I mean, what is your your kind of philosophy on like? Is it is it? I mean, this maybe is is, is the wrong uh, phrase to use, but go big or go home. You don't always need to go big on a character if it no. doesn't necessitate that, but you do want to make strong choices for sure and i think it comes from the environment that you're in which is generally created by the director right now for example if you're on a nolan picture inevitably chris has written it yes and he's directing it so and he's you know one of the greatest filmmakers we have today yeah so you're in a really safe place to create and to sort of uh um explore and you know, try stuff that might in another context seem outrageous, but you know, when you have the confidence of a filmmaker who is sure. gonna walk you through it and protect you, can, you in on set and in the edit and know sure. how to 
calibrate that. Yeah, and 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 I think those those situations. That's what every actor hopes for is that that safety net, that that place where you can experiment and go big, and it might not always work, but then you can change it, and you know. Yeah. Um, that's what we all hope for, I think. Can you uh, so like for something like Thomas, who is. 180 from you is as far from you seemingly as possible. Mm-hmm. I would hope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I'm not that interesting. Well, <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Um, but I mean, even in the physicality of him, the way he carries himself, I'm sure. Yeah, you're not a smoker, I don't think. No, it, no, you had to smoke a lot of fake cigarettes over the last six years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I suppose when I read it, I read the scripts, and I knew this guy had to be sort of. Uh, he had to be physically intimidating. He had to be intimidating in his presence. Um, so we, it was an exercise in kind of trying to find ways that me, who's not a very physically imposing person, uh, could embody this character who was that sort of physically imposed. So, you know, it's it drop the voice. I was going to say, the voice is... is uh, and that's something that I've noticed in, in a bunch of your characters uh, over the years. Like, that's always... That can really tell a lot about a character. Well, it's a way of finding, you know, you you can find a way into a character through various ways. And I spent a lot of time with Tommy trying to find ways. Like he's a a decorated soldier, uh, veteran of the First World War, right? So the guy is, you know, he's seen stuff that you and I couldn't even begin to conceive. Um, So then the haircut, the voice, the walk... Uh, the costumes you do every everything you can to 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 make you not look like um just an actor who's walked in off the right. street so uh, so it was, a, it was a long process to get there and it's kind of evolved over the course of the show it must boggle your mind that the haircut has become I mean, i'm sure in every interview you talk about the haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well it's nuts isn't it i mean it's become a thing. It's like it's, you started a trend, like a, that's lasted. It's like a. It's not since the Friends Rachel haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's beloved, beloved of like fashionistas and um, hipsters. And I, you know, the weird thing is, I keep saying to them, you realize it's a, it's, it's, it's to prevent against lice. Like, it's, it's a, just be nothing aware. more trendy than going against. <laughs> Yeah, in hair infestation. But um, uh, but 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 it's a very graphic silhouette. Yes. Do you Striking. know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. yeah. With that haircut, the cap, and the costume, it's it became instantly sort of recognizable. Yeah. As a peaky thing. Again, it was a total fluke, but we just chanced upon something. All of this is kind of alchemy. Of course. If, if it's not we, in a boardroom, you're like, wait, how are we going to yeah. get the zeitgeist to be interested? In no us? one knows, and and no one knows. Yeah, and and again, if you ever try and shoot for a spe- specific demographic, you ever try and shoot for, uh, you know, um, to be fashionable or relevant, you're dead. Yeah, none of the, these things happen by by design. It was just total, like it was just luck. You also have uh, over the years have had, you know, maybe the coolest soundtrack of any show. Um, yeah, if I were you, I, 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 maybe I would. I was gonna say I would have red right hand as my ringtone. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe that's the worst actually possible idea. Um, and some musicians have 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 fallen in love with the show too. It was Bowie was a fan, wasn't he? Yeah, that's amazing. Bowie was a fan, and uh, did he reach out to you? Yeah, I got to meet him, and yeah, it was that was quite humbling and uh, sort of uh, 
unbelievable that that he was a fan and wanted to have his music in the show and um Leonard Cohen and you know Radiohead uh and Nick Cave obviously it all kind of started with Nick Cave sure. he sort of set the bar and the tone and the atmosphere of what the music would be but musicians really seem to love the show and this year we um Anna Calvi did the score and she's an incredible artist and yeah, and I'm a music obsessive, so it's 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 it just I, I can't I, you know it's a yeah. This must be icing on the cake for someone like you. I know you you were, would have just been just as happy making music your life. Well, yes, except it wouldn't be very good. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but to to have musicians that I've idolized, you know, um, offer their music to the show has been so just just kind of a pinch yourself moment, you know. So going back, if you'll indulge me for at least a little bit, like when you. So music was a love as much as acting or even before acting growing up. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. I didn't start acting until I was 19. So um, it was all music. Yeah. So what did, what did your your parents, you come from a, a long line of teachers, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of teachers in the family. Yeah. What did they make of the artist's son who was fascinated by music and then acting? And Well, here's the thing. Because they were all teachers, majority of them were teachers, um, it's not to say that they didn't have a you know big interest in the arts. It was just at that time in Ireland, there was very, very few people made actually a living from being an actor sure. or a writer or a musician, and if they did, they had to leave and so it was all there was always books in our house, always music in our house, but it just it wasn't an, a, a realistic a yeah po- yeah possibility so um so uh and I didn't even, I just sort of fell into it by accident, you know, but they, they're, they, they're very proud and very happy, you know, and, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's worked out fine. I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were the films and TV that, that really drew you in as a boy? Do you remember what really made a, an impact, any memorable theater going experiences for you? Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, Twin Peaks was a huge thing. Watching that as a kid, I remember watching that like and being, and then like hiding behind the sofa just watching it. We're I think we're like almost exactly the same age, right. so we would have been I think we had twelve or thirteen there was around when yeah. And it still haunts me to this day. You know some of those that Angelo Baldamenti score. What a score! I Come mean on. the whole the atmosphere. See, one of the hardest things to do I think in film and television is atmosphere. Yeah. Where you feel like you're in it, you feel like it gets into the fiber of your being. You know, you can smell it almost. Yeah, that's so hard to get. And Lynch just does that. You know, and I always listen. I always think of it as even though I could rewatch the opening credits of that show yeah. over and over. I mean, like, the, like you see like the waterfall and the music, and you're just there. Yeah, you're there. And <laughs> you know, again, it's another one of those how, why, but it just it just yeah. works. You know, you've never worked with Lynch, have you? No, I would just love to. Pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I don't want to unnerve you, but I've watched a bunch of the the missing films that I hadn't seen in your filmography the last few days. So I watched oh. Disco Pigs, and oh, I watched. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm ashamed to say I had never seen Breakfast on Pluto, even though I'm a huge Neil Jordan fan. Um, but Disco Pigs was the was the big one that really did transition for you. Like I mean, you had done this on the stage for a while, yeah, and then you guys made a film of it, yeah. Uh, so what, you you kind of lived that character for a while. Yeah, I did it when I was like 19. It was my first ever professional role on stage. And then I went off and did other bits and bobs. Yeah. And I did a couple of other films. But that was about four years later, we made the film of the play. 
And I suppose it was the first film uh, that people saw, really. Yeah. Did it immediately open doors? Did you feel like a world was opening up to you in terms of opportunity? Well, Danny Boyle saw it when he was casting uh, 28 Days Later. So that certainly, it put me in the room with him and then I had to audition for uh, 28 Days Later. I would assume as you must have been a fan of Danny's by oh, the time I mean, you in that room. Yeah, I mean, Shallow Grave, Trainspotting were f- seminal, sort of formative movies for me. I remember yeah. watching them in the cinema. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was like, I recognized that fact that he was, you know, world class director. Um, and I worked my ass off on those auditions. I'm sure. Yeah. His. Um, He's been in here, and I've talked to him a number of times. He's just such a has such a spirit to him. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like he's like someone like Tarantino. You could talk to him about film <laughs> for hours, and he seemingly has like boundless enthusiasm. Yes, yeah. is that fair to say on on the well, set of his films? Yeah, like he the the, the joy of filmmaking yeah. just runs through him. And I remember the thing that always stands out uh, for me about Danny is that he he you know some directors will have a perch behind Video Village and they'll sit there. Danny never sits down. <laughs> never like so you have a 16 hour day whatever he's never he never sits down and that that enthusiasm or that joy just percolates down to yeah. all of the crew and they all would they'd follow him to the end of the world you know because he has such passion for it and he knows every single person's name you know he's, he's these uh, are the small things that matter absolutely and and that's what makes you a, a sort of a, a leader you know what i mean in, yeah. in that because ultimately the director is the leader is it disheartening sometimes when you look around and, and i mean all directors do it different ways some live in video village some are right by the camera mm. would you rather have them kind of next to that camera well i can only speak from my experience and i've been very lucky but people like danny boy people like nolan they are in and involved with every single detail of every department yeah and effectively if they could they would be the the, <laughs> the head of each department but yeah. you know it's a collaborative business but yeah no uh, that like chris nolan when he shoots those movies it's chris and the cameraman and chris and a little monitor that 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 that's it and the and the boom up even you know and they they, they have these uh, the sense of epic scale, but it feels like making a little indie movie. You know? Yeah, that's what the best do. I mean, I, 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 I also rewatched Sunshine, which for my money is one of the great underrated like classics of the underrated. Last... I think so. <laughs> don't you? Well, oh, I mean, in that like no, I agree. With don't you, you think? Yeah. I mean, well, it's a gorgeous like marriage of like music and sound and, and image and and just emotion. It's it's. It's a powerful piece Space of work. Space movies are tough, you know? Space I know it took a lot out of him. He's talked about how like that one kind of broke him. <laughs> yeah, it was tough for all of us. And, and I think sometimes with space movies as well, there's a, there's a few we could mention that when they were released, people were like, eh. Oh, sure. And even, then, even 2001 at the time. Yeah. yeah. Like Alien, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, then, and then people over time go, actually, and I think that's kind of happened with Sunshine uh, didn't didn't it came out also on the hottest day of the year? Irony <laughs> right there in in uh, London, which didn't great help. viral marketing by Danny yeah. Boyle and Fox's part. <laughs> Let's not go and see that film today. But um, yeah, it, it, in fact, Tarantino, um, it's one of his favorite space movies. So um, we were all very, well. I certainly was very heartened to hear that because I'm very proud of it. Yeah, and going back to 28 Days, that was I mean also notable in the, one of the first, if not the first, digital. Hmm. films did that make any difference to you at the time like did you notice do you notice the apparatus that's being used or do you notice wait i'm doing takes that are going on for an hour as opposed to five minutes well you see they were 
that was they were domestic DV cameras. They were they were like on these little tiny cartridges, and okay. they were these big cumbersome yokes. And um, it was Anthony Dodd Mantle who shot that mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, film, who's an incredible DP. He would have been part of the Dogma movement, you know. Sure. And um, so we could have those cameras everywhere, and you could just get like anyone could operate them once they were Anthony set them up the correct way. But everyone was just carrying around these little cartridges of film going, and you know, you'd feel lose. so flimsy. Yeah, and that's <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> that's so actually frightening it, as a it artist. is, <laughs> but it wasn't quite DV or digital as we know it now. The, the quality is unbelievable, unbelievably grainy, right? You can imitate or achieve anything yeah. with digital now, virtually. Yeah, this was don't quite, tell no one that, but no, a lot of people, <laughs> no, not, not for Chris, but like it, very low fidelity, I suppose, is what I'm trying yes. to say. But it gives it, it almost gives the, uh, the thing that he wanted, I think, was the idea that they it was like someone was just running behind them with a, with a domestic camera filming them, you know. And it was, I think, influenced by that dogma movement, which was around that time, was around at that time. Yeah. So in the wake, I mean, that, that, that is, I mean, yes, as much as Disco Pigs open, opens up a world, that opened up a whole variety of options for mm. you. That must have been challenging, exciting, a lot to take in as a, a young actor. Did you feel like, I know what to do with this kind of, to use the horrible phrase of like juice in Hollywood, you know what I mean? Like, did you know how to like set priorities and know what kind of path you wanted to set out on at that point? Well, no, is the short answer. <laughs> but but I, I guess I was very blessed to have worked with Danny that early in my career and to realize that, you know, I was kind of informed by uh, the way he worked. Yeah. And the sort of movies that he talked to me about and the intensity at which he worked. And also Alex Garland, who wrote it, who was sure. a friend of mine, you know, he influenced me a lot. And so I was very clear then, I think, about the sort of films that I wanted to do and the sort of films that I wanted to steer clear of. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I read some quote of yours. It's like, I, I, I'm not even going to try and like approximate it, but like the power of saying no. It's, it's important to know what to say no to. Yeah, and I... Uh, I would have been, I suppose, quite shy and stuff, and um, uh, not very good at doing the old work in the room, shall we say. And uh, um, I always felt, and I still feel, that the work should do the talking, yeah. not the not the person. Um, so yeah, I went back and did more theatre after Twenty Eight Days Later. It didn't like it didn't go skyrocket all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were it's kind of spoiled in a way by like working with these people like relatively early on, like mm. Danny, and then soon there relatively soon there after meeting Christopher Nolan, yeah. um, who are who are the ones that can like operate on the grandest scales, but make it still feel intimate and, and special and not like cookie cutter Hollywood crap. <laughs> um, you meet Christopher on the audition for Batman Begins. Yes, um, you were a fan, I know. Uh, yes. Memento following. Yeah. Insomnia at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tape out there of you in the bat suit online if one wants to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and you could see why I didn't get the part. <laughs> You're a slight man. You're, <laughs> you yeah. could have filled out if you wanted to. Well, you know, at that time, whatever, I, I, I knew that Christian Bale was auditioning and I was like, well, that's obvious. <laughs> That he should play the, the American part. Psycho guy. But, see, look at his chest. But also, he's a, he's a phenomenal <laughs> no, he's actor. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it seemed to me obvious. But for me, I was just taking it like it. It was like a trip. It was like a wow. I get to, 
going to Warner lot and like <laughs> do a screen test with Chris Nolan, boom, I can tell my kids about that. Sure. If nothing else. And then it, it turned into something else. So. Does something like happen where anybody that gets in the bat suit, you feel like you have to like change your voice and do kind of the yeah. growl? Like it just, you have to, right? Uh, or yeah. lower register? Yeah. I mean, oh, 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 I, I wasn't directed to do that, <laughs> um, but it just felt like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be like, hi, I'm Batman. No, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. No. No. For some reason, yeah, it, it just, it, 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 yeah, something drops when you put that, when you put that cowl on. It's tightness in the belt or something. Uh, thankfully, it worked out for everybody. Because also, I will say, like, I don't know about you. I don't know if you think back. Like, if you became Batman, you might be miserable. Like, I don't know. Like, knowing what I know about you, like, I don't know if, like, that would have been the life you would want in a way. Do you think about it in those terms? I don't ever, I don't ever think about it like that because it ended up working out great for me because I uh, ended up having a very fruitful working relationship with Chris yeah. and, um, and I think Christian Bale I, like just smashed just it, killed it. As, as Bruce Wayne and Batman. So, no, I never really think, think, about, it, think about it like that. I believe as well... You, you know, if you have some sort of um, authenticity about you, mm -hmm. that you get the roles you're meant to have. Right. Now, that sounds really cheesy. <laughs> what I mean is that if, you, if you're relatively comfortable in the path you want to move along yes. creatively, that stuff, that stuff comes to you for a reason. You know? Yeah. I mentioned I, I finally caught up on Breakfast on Pluto many years too late, but... Uh, what an exceptional performance and I'm such I've always been a fan of Neil Jordan's he's so good man. so great yeah. I mean yeah I'm sure as any great Irish actor that's on the list you want to work with mm. Neil Jordan mm. um, and just like a beautiful portrait of Kit Kitten is such like a open hearted sweet character talk about voice that must mm. have been a big part of it to like find that cadence and yeah yeah I spent a lot of time preparing for that one um, like like months um, trying to get that right, yeah. And again, it's a, it's it's like you know with Tommy, it's a it's a series of sort of explorations and exercises and um, just tests to see what works best and what doesn't work. And yeah. eventually, you, you kind of narrow it down. Um, another one on the list that I'm sure you take pride in is when that shakes the barley. Ken Loach, who's yeah. a fascinating filmmaker. I mean, it's, it's hard to make you know, quote unquote important film that doesn't feel like medicine that that is i mean like that 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 film at the end of the day is really about brothers yeah uh, and 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 is just packs a wallet by the end yeah no i mean again you know i think he he's one of the greatest filmmakers we have yeah. and if you look at his body of work uh, the performances he gets from actors the messages that his films have within them um the, the the integrity that he has as a filmmaker, yeah, I feel, just feel very privileged to have worked with him. And he's also a human, like an, an, an astounding human being. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, that, that that was another kind of milestone for me. And I, you know, was to make as an Irishman to make a, a film about my country, um, and 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 actually my county where I grew up, and then for it to sort of resonate was. Was, was really satisfying. Yeah, and a film about, uh, obviously, the IRA and how it mm. splits apart families and what it did to, yeah. uh, to your country. I mean, growing up, just that time period, you must have grown up when the IRA... Like, what was your understanding of the IRA as a child? Like, Well, I mean, we... You know, I grew up in the 80s, really, and, it didn't, like, the South, it, it was really just on the news. Yeah. It never, it never came home 
in any sort of tangible tangible way but you know it was all over our curriculum in, in school um but but the civil war which Ken deals with in the film that had never really been um treated on screen and uh, and when it came out like generations of like grandmothers were going to see with their grandchildren and stuff and and um I think it was a good thing. For, it was kind of a cathartic thing for the country. Yeah. Jumping around a little bit, but like it occurred to me, I, I forgot to bring up uh, what I thought was another exceptional actor you got to work with in um, Breakfast on uh, Pluto was uh, Liam Neeson, mm -hmm. which um, in a role that like a very unlike I've seen him do before. Mm. Um, must have been a, a treat. Is he somebody that you kind of revered when you were coming of age oh. as an actor? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a sort of, you know, Liam Neeson, Brendan Gleeson and Stephen Ray. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. Those guys, you know, they lay the way for all of us and we were all sort of in awe of them and I still am. And I've got to work, I haven't got to work with Gabriel, but I've got to work with all the others. Um, with Brendan, like, five or six times and Stephen several times in film and on stage as well oh, so nice. they were all they couldn't have been more encouraging and more supportive of me as I set out and my whatever you call it <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, yeah they're just gentlemen you know is it weird to work with someone like uh, you're in Dunkirk and you see Barry Barry Hugan and be like oh wait there's the next yeah the next gen yeah, and how good is he? He's great. I just met him for the first time. What a what a spirit on him. Oh, <laughs> he's got he's got the stuff. He really has. He's so good. You know, like people like him and Jack Rayner. Oh, you know, Jack was just here too. He's great. Yeah, yeah. They're such strong actors. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's for a small country. I think we we have a fair output. You yeah. Know? Uh, a couple other a few things I'll, I'll hit, and then I promise to release you out into the wild, sir. Um, what did you make of the Inception script the first time you read it? Did you need a, Christopher to explain to you what the hell was going on, or did it read on the page? Uh, no, I think it, 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 it. I think it took a few a few reads. <laughs> it's dense, I'm sure. Yeah, and but you have to remember he lived with that story for 15 years or something before he'd made made got to make the film. Yeah. So he knew every single frame of that film, and so again, you felt in totally safe, yeah. and total confidence, and. I'm like, hang on, whose mind or what level? Are <laughs> and he would just, just tell you know, work it all out for you. And again, the beauty is like at the end of the day. I mean, it's a, a film with a lot of bells and whistles, and they're gorgeous to look at and experience. Mm. But like, oh wait, it's a story about a father and a son. <laughs> it's Pete mm. passed away in one of his sad, sadly his yeah. final performances. It's just yeah. kind of beautiful scenes with you guys at the end yeah. amidst all this bombastic yeah. excitement. Yeah, that's but that's I think that's what 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 Chris does so brilliantly. He makes these incredibly sophisticated uh, blockbuster movies, but they have uh, real emotion. To yeah, them. I find them incredibly uh, uh, moving. His films, you know. I I, I I wait for the Christopher Nolan James Bond movie one day, which I feel is inevitable. Do you think it's going to happen? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he's been making it in some ways in different forms already, and he's he's unabashed yeah. in his love. It's just, it just it just so. needs to be the right timing, I think. Yeah. Don't you? I I mean, listen, I'll I'll, I'll go to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I won't go down the Bond route. I know every actor that I've talked to over the years. Whenever you bring up James Bond, they like, oh no, I can't say anything. <laughs> no, no, no comment. It's fine. It's fine. Um, we have a, a weird indirect connection in that my brother wrote Tron Legacy. 
Oh, really? <laughs> he said Adam Horowitz. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, and uh, and you, of course, you had a, a notable cameo well, in that one. Well, yeah, because I, because uh, um, I adore the first movie, and who doesn't? You know, yeah. and it's it's again a movie I watched as a kid. Yeah. Like it would come on the telly sometimes late at night. <laughs> what am I exactly? Is this movie? <laughs> and. I was just bugging my agent going, is there any way I can get, is there anything in that that I can just be in it just for my kids? And everyone keeps saying, oh, they were setting it up for something. I don't know if they were. I just wanted to be in it, you know? That's all. I got some inside info. They were setting up for something. Were they? I think oh, you were okay. going to come back. I didn't know that. I don't understand how a $400 million movie doesn't get a sequel. It was good. I liked I it. Know. I started a petition. <laughs> you are on a no- notable sequel you can't say anything about. I think you just shot the new Quiet Place movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, fun to be. I mean, John Krasinski's obviously looking at this time. He could focus solely on the directing, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, had, how was that experience without... I know you can't say much about it, but did it feel... Well, there's a good story about that. Um, uh, I brought my kids to see that movie yeah. in the cinema last year, and I thought it was one of the best films of the year. And I voted for it in all the awards. <laughs> and uh, um, and I, I penned a letter to John Krasinski, an email, just to, can I rarely do this, just to say, man, what an achievement. Because to me, again, it was ostensibly, you know, a, a sort of a genre film. Right. But to me, it felt it was all about family. Of course. Yeah. And I found it, like Emily Blunt's performance and, and the whole, the the... The, the, the family unit I found it just so moving and yeah uh, and also terrifying so <laughs> anyway I penned this email but then I I didn't have the guts to send it to him I just got embarrassed <laughs> so I was and then he called me up and said look there's a part in the wow. sequel so. that's how powerful John Krasinski is he can read the emails that aren't even sent I, kn- I know he's just like his own <laughs> server <laughs> He's, he's the master of Tron. He's the MCU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what you're doing next? You mentioned it's going to be stage is going to take a backseat for a while. That's a commitment. But. Yeah. I just I did a very intense play that yeah. in here in New York last this year, and and I just need a rest. So and I just finished Quiet Place a couple of weeks ago. So and I'm just having a rest. Do you do you show your sons much film? Like when they came of age, when they started to like be like old enough to watch films like did you have the list of the ones you needed to expose to them yeah yeah mostly you know i'm not going to show them you know i don't know but i i want to sh- you know all the classic 80s movies yeah. you know what i mean like back to the future course, you know yeah. i mean and all the indiana jones all those movies like big i've had i got so you know the Goonies, just just watching those movies and seeing the joy in their faces, yeah. watching that that has been a real thrill. They all work, thankfully. They still all work. of those work. They you, didn't you, fail. You didn't mention the ones that don't quite hold up, but <laughs> those work still no, good. They, they and they always ask me like, how long ago was it made? And it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> don't make me feel older than I am. Yeah. Um, Thanks for taking, uh, indulging in a little bit of the, of the, this is your life, Killian Murphy. I, yeah. I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm thrilled that you came by today to that chat about Peaky pleasure. Blinders. Thanks, oh. man. Uh, congratulations on the new season. Everybody should check it out. It's on Netflix. Uh, Peaky Blinders, if you're late to the party, it's never too late. Join the fun. It's an amazing <laughs> piece of work. Uh, Killian, thanks again. Lovely to chat, man. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate awesome. it. That was thanks, great. Man. That was great. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. 
I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>